This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. second reading, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5. It is the basis for the sermon today. He writes, So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now sin is not charged to one's account if there is no printed law. And yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of one man's sin, for the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in a verdict of condemnation. But the gracious gift that followed many trespasses resulted in a verdict of justification, being declared innocent. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, Adam, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to the life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will become righteous. The devil made me do it. That's an excuse, a dodge to dump personal responsibility and get out of the line of fire when the blame bullet is shot from God's rifle. But we can't get out of his scoped sights when we think, say, and do things that we shouldn't, or when we don't think, say, or do things that we should. His aim is too good. So these two statements remain true. If we fall short of what God expects, it's our own fault. 
And yet it's also true that behind the scenes, Satan is right there nudging us on to get into trouble because his favorite game is standing in God's courtroom and pointing his bony, accusing finger at us and hollering, Go get him, God! Does it bother you that Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people? Isn't it true, though, that the coronavirus and the stock market dropping and the political divide in America and terrorist threats, paying off a school debt, getting a higher paying job, finding Mr. or Miss Right, solving problems in a relationship, getting over a lingering cold, rank higher on the concern scale than the devil's tricks? Isn't it, isn't it true that in many ways we think of the devil in our minds like a harmless cartoon character who is just sitting at his desk at the gates of Hades asking each entrant, smoking or non-smoking? But I ask you this. Can a corrupt politician, a terrorist, a flu bug, or a debt drag you to hell? No. But the devil can. That's what makes worship on this first Sunday in the season of Lent so essential. A Bible writer by the name of the Apostle Paul made it perfectly clear in today's second reading from his letter to the Romans and to us in chapter 5. A divine verdict undid the devil's damage. How about that? A divine verdict undid the devil's damage. Thirty-five years ago, I was living in blissful ignorance, sitting at my desk, plunking out my sermon on a manual typewriter. Then something changed. Enter the computer. That old Smith and Corona went into the garbage as technology found its way into my study. And to, I have to say, great advantage. Not just for like email and internet connections, but easy editing, spell check. But the computer also brings some disadvantages and some problems like computer viruses, phishing, and a threat of the stolen personal identity. I know, I know that just about all of you are well, well aware of this, but I just find it mind-boggling that there actually are people sitting around at their computer trying to cook up and design and create computer viruses that they're going to send by email to attack your computer, garble up the data, and crash your system. There's people who actually plan for that. Just last Tuesday, I got a letter from a company that handles some of our investments. We are contacting you about a data breach that we're concerned about the security of some of your personal information. Ah! Oh! Don't you wish that there'd be someone who could just do away with all of the hackers and eliminate all computer viruses. The devil did a lot of damage. He injected a virus 
into the human race when he got Adam and Eve to disobey God. And it's not just some little boo-boo. That virus is so damaging that it is passed on genetically to all of Adam and Eve's descendants. It, it continues generation after generation and is passed on down to this very day. It is so damaging that everyone gets infected by this sin virus. I don't, I don't care what your skin color is. You could be blue or purple or green or pink or tan, it doesn't matter. You and I have all been, all people descended from Adam and Eve. We're all related. We're all descended from Adam and Eve and we're all infected by this sin virus. It's not as though we can say, well, I got that genetically, kind of like I got bad eyesight, so I guess I have to get glasses or contacts. It's not even like saying, well, genetically I got a blood disease and I guess I'm going to die young. It's worse than that. This sin virus has Injected into, been injected into us, and it affects everything that we do. And worse yet, it ends up leading us to hurt others around us. There is no human cure. And it can drag us to hell. So, what's our, what's our typical reaction to knowing that we have inborn sin virus? Well, I, I can only speak for myself. I don't know about you, but typically... I guess that's bad, not that big a deal. If I happen to think or say some things in the privacy of my own life and home, who knows, who cares? My husband is an emotional clam, but I found a soulmate at work who shares his deepest secrets and his inner feelings with me, and I share with him. So what's the big deal if we're living together before we're married? Everybody does it. Besides, we're saving money in order to buy a house. What's the big deal if I get drunk to numb numb the, the terrible feelings of pressure I have from a bad week or to celebrate the end of a semester with my friends? I'll, I'll get over it by Monday. What do you mean I take the name of the Lord in vain too often? God, you're picky. Oops. But the apostle... Paul yanks us back to reality with a shocking statement that we all deserved the guilty verdict. And the sentence, the judgment, the penalty that follows that verdict is death. And I'm I'm not talking just about six feet under the sod in a tree-shaded cemetery. I mean separation from God's love and brutalized by his anger ad infinitum. For the kids, that means forever. The people who lived in the ancient nation of Israel had a similar shock when they had their sin reflected back at them from the mirror of God's demands which he caused their leader Moses to put into print. They were like people who didn't realize that they were covered with warts and blemishes until they looked in a mirror. But guess what? Even if there never had been a mirror, they still were covered with warts and blemishes. The Israelites saw their sin reflected in the mirror of God's demands written down. But there were people who lived and didn't know those written down rules from God or who lived before that. They still were sinful. Here's what the apostle said in verses 13 and 14. Before the law was given, was written down, sin was in the world. Now sin was, is not charged to someone's account if there's no written law, at least from our perspective. Nobody's going to get in trouble if they don't know it. 
And yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, sinning against the specific command of God. So then, this is verse 12 now, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. You might think that people who weren't aware of God's written down laws for Moses might be a little less guilty, but they still died. They still, whether they knew about God's written laws or not, they still inherited sin transferred to them from their ancestors, Adam and Eve. And that sin virus has been transferred to us. The devil did a lot of damage. Only God could undo that damage. And he did. He sent his son to defeat the one who created and spread that sin virus. The apostle makes it very clear in this Bible reading that the obedience of that one man, Jesus, the God-man, Jesus, is in stark contrast to the disobedience of the man, Adam. So here's the miracle. And if your mind has been wandering, or if your caffeine hasn't completely hit in right yet, this, this part you got to hear. This is what you got to take home today. This is what you got to hear. Here's the miracle. Jesus' obedience has been recorded in God's heavenly court records in place of our disobedience so that we get the message and the announcement not guilty. Here's verses 15 and 16. The gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, Adam, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of one man's sin, for the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in a verdict of condemnation being declared guilty. But the gracious gift that followed many trespasses resulted in a verdict of justification, a verdict of not guilty. Now, verses 18 and 19. Hang in. This is so good. So then, just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification, declaration of innocence for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will become righteous. The verdict that followed the one sin of Adam was guilty. And it spread and was transferred generation after generation to all people. That is you. That is I. But the verdict that followed our many trespasses and sins is not guilty. Jesus washed our sins away from God's sight. Satan cannot anymore step into God's courtroom and accuse us because we're covered with Jesus' innocence. We get the not guilty verdict. How about that? A divine verdict following Satan's defeat undid the devil's damage. Isn't that amazing? So let's say that Let's say that you were living in a small town and started a business and you're doing okay, but somehow you got connected with some shady characters and th some things were a little, you know, not, not, not quite by the books. Got yourself in a little trouble. A friend came, bailed you out, whew, and you got out from under that. You were able to relocate to a new town, start a new business, and things were going pretty well 
until a competitor came along extremely jealous of your success. He tried to ruin you financially, not only by wooing customers away from your business to his by lowering his prices, but also filing suit against you, taking you to court and digging up some of the dirt from your past and waving that under the judge's nose. A very talented attorney came along and won your case. The judge pronounced his judgment and he ruled to you not guilty. But the competitor didn't give up. He was persistent. Year after year, he kept filing an appeal to the judge against you. Was that a nuisance? Was that frustrating? Of course. But when you hung on to that verdict from the judge, that you were innocent, not guilty, you were able to drive the competitor back. The devil did a lot of damage. But Jesus is the champion. Defeated Satan. And his ability to accuse us. And we're on the winning side, the winning team. But that competitor, Satan, he doesn't want to give up. Year after year, month after month, day after day, he keeps going back to God's courtroom to try to file an appeal against you and against me. You feel that frustration, don't you, when you get those temptations that keep coming and keep coming? Is it a nuisance? Is it a bother? Of course. But when you hang on to that verdict, not guilty, you can force Satan into retreat. You can drive him back. Here's how the Apostle says that in verse 17. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing gift of grace, the gift of righteousness, will reign, will rule in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If given an inch, Satan is going to take a mile. If you give him an inch, he's going to keep coming back to God with an appeal against you. And if you lose sight of the court records, that's the Bible, he's going to make your life miserable. Keep in mind, Jesus is supreme. He reigns. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's defeated Satan's ability to accuse you. And then, by his pardon and power, he allows you and me to live as kings and queens. We can say no to temptation. We can say no to the devil. We can tell the devil, get away from me. Get behind me. You cannot control me. Don't give the, the devil an inch. Use the verdict. Because that verdict has un undid the devil's damage. And it forces Satan into retreat. The names have been changed to protect privacy. Sue had a critical nature and it flashed out in demeaning and hurtful comments about anyone and everyone she met. Finally, one day, a friend almost the only one she had left, sat her down and said, Sue, you may not realize this, but your comments about people and to people are very hurtful. And really, in reality, they're only really hurting you. Whenever you talk the way you do, people don't want to be around you. And even I, as probably your only friend, 
am thinking about letting you stew all by yourself in your own mean, selfish soup. Sue was dazed, shocked. She didn't know what to do, what to say. Her friend assured her, Sue, you can change the way you speak to people. And it begins with a new view of yourself. Think of this. Jesus is still the Savior. He's still your Savior. His not guilty verdict extends over you and even over all of your hurtful comments. Sue is still working on it, but she's getting better every day. Why? Because she's got that not guilty verdict and forcing Satan into retreat. Ed wrestled with desires that he thought could only be calmed by looking at images which decent people would consider to be inappropriate, his wife found out. It just about ruined their marriage. Feeling embarrassed, feeling dirty, he met with his pastor and finally came clean. And then he heard from his pastor what he had heard hundreds of times before, but now it finally meant something to him because he realized how much he needed it. His pastor said, Ed, the not guilty verdict from God extends over you. Ed is still working on it every day, day by day, but he's winning the battle more often than he's losing. Why? Because that not guilty verdict undid the devil's damage. And he was hanging on to that, forcing Satan's retreat. What are you working on? What are you wrestling with? Don't give up. Don't hide. Don't pretend that your sin, your own personal struggle with sin, will go away by itself. Meet it head on. Own it. And then hear God's announcement over you. Not guilty. And you and I know whenever we hear that, we don't deserve it. But focus on that. Listen to that announcement. Not guilty. Because that not guilty verdict undid the devil's damage. And it will force Satan into retreat. 9-11 changed the way airports handle security. And those of us who have to travel once in a while know what a hassle air travel can be. But wouldn't you agree that we would not want airports to let their guard down? God does not want you to let your guard down. And that's why we're so grateful to have a worship experience like the first Sunday in Lent so that we can say, thank you, Lord, for giving us alert to Satan's tricks and even more praise to you, Lord, for the victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. 
bless you and to keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.